Good morning, everyone. Um, Please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. And we're going to begin our time by reading through verses 1 to 20. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. This is what God's Word says. And again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So our focus this morning is going to be on the first 12 verses of this passage and then we'll complete our look at this passage next week. Here is a passage that uh, I'm sure many of us are familiar with. What is said, not only in the parable itself, uh, but in Jesus' explanation of the reason uh, that he begins to tell parables in the first place. All of this is so very important for us to understand as Christians. We can tend to think of parables as, as one of the ways in which Jesus showed that he was the master teacher. And, and in a sense, that's very true. He was excellent at, at being able to speak these truths. But unless we read Jesus' own words concerning the purpose of the parables, uh, we're going to be very mistaken in our applying these to our lives and ministries. 
You see, the parables were a way of communicating deeper truth to God's people, and yet for those outside of the kingdom, those without faith, they were actually a sign of judgment. The episode we read in Mark 4 uh, comes directly after we see multiple responses to Jesus. Uh, There are the scribes uh, who are saying that he does his work by the power of Satan. And there are his family members who think that he's just out of his mind. And then there are those who are sitting at his feet, listening to what he's saying and submitting to him. We read all of this at the end of Mark chapter 3. Well, the parable of the soils that Jesus goes straight into helps us understand uh, why people respond to Jesus in different ways. It's only those whose lives have been touched by the grace of God Uh, the ground of their hearts cultivated by the Holy Spirit, uh, who will respond to Jesus with faith and affection. Uh, The parable of the soils does not describe four types of Christians. Only the good soil is a picture of true believers. There is much in this section of Scripture. Let me summarise a few things, because here we learn the importance of preaching the gospel to all Here we learn that the reception of the gospel is only enabled by God's grace. Here we learn that evangelism is hard work. But here we learn why evangelism will be effective. Here we learn of the purpose of the parables. Here we see that those who love the Lord will be given more. Here we see that those who reject the Lord will be judged for their rejection. Here we uh, come to the parable that gives us the foundation for understanding all other parables. Here we see that unless God grants the gift of illumination, then no one will understand anything. So, while many of you may be familiar with these verses, I pray that uh, as we look through them today and next week, uh, that you'll be growing to a deeper understanding of God's truth. If you're here today and you do not know uh, Jesus as Lord and Saviour, then I pray that God would open your eyes and your ears this morning that you may receive the good news of Jesus Christ, that you would come to know the truth and that truth would set you free. When turning to the passage, the first thing to address is the description of the setting. What led Jesus into teaching the parable of the soils? So point one is the setting described, and we read that in verses 1 to 2. Mark starts, And again, he began to teach beside the sea. Jesus had moved out of the house where he was addressing the people and then headed down to the water's edge. Now remember Capernaum, uh, the town uh, which served as the base of the ministry of Jesus in Galilee, was right by the the Sea of Galilee. And it was here that the apostles Peter, Andrew, James and John had operated their fishing business. After the confrontation with the scribes and, and his family members trying to take control of him, Jesus got on with what he had come to do. He set about teaching. So in the last 150 years or so, the church has been constantly bombarded uh, with the notion that formal teaching is not going to win any souls to Christ. Uh, we're told, and, and usually that does come up from within the midst of the church, that, 
that opening the Bible and teaching people is, is not enough. We need to constantly be thinking of ways to draw people into the church, to attract people in. And once they're in, then we might get to teaching them a few things. But if, to use one of the most prominent pragmatic tools of the last 20 years, we stop and ask, what would Jesus do? Well then, we, when we read the scripture, we learn exactly what Jesus would do. He taught God's word. It was not all he did, but it was his main task. Remember in Mark chapter 1, that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, and then he spent the whole night uh, healing the crowds that had come to him. Uh, they'd heard word of this person, and they brought everyone in, and Jesus healed them all. But the next morning, more crowds had appeared. But Jesus says to his disciples in verse 38, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So if we're to be faithful to our master, we should never let ourselves get distracted from doing otherwise. So Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And we're told next that a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Now, in getting onto the boat, Jesus ensured that he had the ability to continue teaching the crowd. Uh, we've seen earlier in Mark chapter 3, in verse 9, uh, of a time when Jesus had asked his disciples to secure a boat for him because the crowd was so big that, that they were gathering in around him, he was likely to be crushed. Well, the boat enabled Jesus to be kept physically safe and it enabled him to physically project his voice over the din of the crowd, the, the water providing ample acoustic assistance for his voice. But now we note what Jesus was saying to the crowd. Verse 2, and he was teaching them many things in parables. Well, what is a parable? Essentially, it's an analogy. It's a, a comparison. It's a way of... Uh, Offering a comparison of something. It could be a short sentence or a short story in which everyday things are used to convey deeper truths. You see this? Well, it's like that. But unlike a, a proverb, which is kind of a, a short, pithy statement of truth, a parable can be used to either convey truth or to conceal truth. It really depends on the willingness of the person who's listening as to how hard they want to think about what's being said to them. At the end of Mark 3, we saw that Jesus had begun speaking in parables to those accusing him of, of doing his work by the power of the devil. But now his teaching in parables continues. Why was Jesus teaching them in parables? Well, we'll come to see that later in Jesus' explanation. But immediately we see the, the hardness of the people's hearts. What's recorded in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 all the way through to 34, uh, seems to be a selection of all that Jesus said to the people that day. These are what stood out. And the parable that Mark records first, as Jesus explains, is uh, foundational to understanding all the rest. So with the setting described, let's now turn to look at point two, the story delivered. 
verses 3 to 9. This is the parable of the soils. It is a, a picture that everyone would have been familiar with during Jesus' day. The people lived in an agrarian society, a farming culture in the main. Now, next time we meet, we're going to go through Jesus' interpretation of this parable in uh, great depth. But having just read out the interpretation as well, we know what all the aspects symbolise. We know that it's more than just a story about farming. But let's spend a few moments getting our heads around the details of this parable itself. It begins with a sower who went out to sow seed. And he sowed the seed liberally. He sowed it generously. This was not a man who was stingy. It could not be said of this man that he was limiting his resources. He was obviously out to get the best crop possible. Now, there are four areas in which the seed lands. And this is why it's better to refer to this parable as being uh, of the soils rather than the sower, because the focus is on the different soils the seed lands on. So the first place the seed landed on was along the path. Now, the sower didn't deliberately aim for the path, but in his desire to sow the seed in all the areas of his field, some scattered onto the hard-packed soil that, that skirted the edge of the field. This is where people would have walked along between the fields. If you recall in Mark chapter 2, when Jesus and his disciples were walking through the fields and and got told off for plucking heads from the grain, well, they weren't trampling through the grain, uh, but they were walking alongside the fields along the paths. Well, the seed that landed on the path did not last long. It couldn't work through the hard soil, and so the birds quickly came and ate it all up. The second place that the seed landed was on the rocky ground. Now again, this farmer was not purposely throwing seeds onto visible rocks. This was actually cultivated soil. The field had been ploughed and and the big rocks removed. But in the fields of Israel, there was often bedrock hidden just below the surface. It could look like good soil, But the hidden rock bed meant that the seed could not develop strong roots. And so it had no sustenance to endure the scorching heat of the sun when the plant grew and it quickly withered away. Well, the third place the seed landed was among the thorns. And again, you might read this parable on the surface and think, my goodness, this is a terrible farmer. Does he have any idea what he's doing? Why does he keep throwing seed in bad places? But again, he wasn't throwing seed into grown thorn bushes. The problem was that when the soil was tilled, it may have looked good, but spores of weeds and and thorns were sitting within it. And so as the seed grew, so did these malicious plants. They grew together and these malicious plants took all the nutrients for themselves and choked the good plants to death. But the fourth place the seed landed was into the good soil. It was soft. It was deep. It was pure. And the result was an abundant harvest. In 
looking at this parable, we need to note the similarities and the differences. What's the same? The sower and the seed. What's different? It's the soil. When Jesus ends the parable, he declared, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Remember, he's just been called a a liar by the Jewish scribes and he's just been called a lunatic by his own earthly family. It's the same Jesus who has spoken to them all. It's the same message that he's spoken to them all. But these people have rejected him. But in the midst of the opposition, Jesus has, has looked upon the willingness of those sitting before him, acknowledging him as Lord... And he declares that these are the ones who are his spiritual family. There is good soil and there is bad soil. It's a picture of how one responds to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the question then is, why do some respond and not others? Why are some like the good soil and others like the hardened path or the rocky ground or the thorn-infested soil? Are some just more receptive than others? Well, to answer that, let's move to what Jesus says in verses 10 to 12. It's here we understand more about what makes good soil good. And it's here that the significance of the parables are explained in detail. So point three is the significance detailed. Verse 10 begins. And when he was alone... Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. When did the disciples come to him if the crowds were there the whole day? And if Jesus, when he was speaking these parables, was on the boat? Well, there may have been an opportunity during the day. Uh, It may have been at a later time, perhaps another day. But Mark thought it was important to connect the conversation with the disciples to the telling of the parable. What we should see, however, is that Mark's language allows either of those things to happen without any contradiction in the Scriptures. So when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Verse 11, And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Who are the you that Jesus is addressing? It's the disciples the 12 apostles and those around him who've come to seek more understanding from Jesus. Again, this connects us back to the end of Mark 3, where his his mother and his half-brothers were standing outside, but uh, as Jesus looked at those sitting at his feet listening to him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. The you are the spiritual family of Christ. And it's to this group that God has granted something very special. The word translated in English as has been given is what's referred to as a divine passive. It's a gift, something that has been given by God, something graciously given by God. And what is this gracious gift that they have been given? Well, it's the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, what is that? Well, the word secret is translated elsewhere as mystery. And 
We know in our, our modern understanding of mystery, it's something that's unknown and unidentified. We're entertained by a good mystery book or movie, a whodunit, or we don't know the answers. But in the scripture, a mystery usually refers to something that was once hidden, but has now been revealed. And that's clear here in Mark 4. To you has been given the secret. It's no longer a mystery. Secret has been revealed. So what is the the secret, this mystery of the kingdom of God? Well, let me say two things about what it is not. First, it is not that God has automatically granted his people an understanding of the parables. Jesus says to those who've come to ask him about the parables, to you has been given the secret. Well, the secret can't be referring to an understanding of the parables because clearly they don't understand the parable. Look as well as at verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Then he went on to explain it. So the secret is not an understanding of the parables. Secondly, it is not a secret understanding of the kingdom of God. You see, from the moment Jesus began his ministry, he publicly proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God everywhere he went. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. We read, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God everywhere he went. Furthermore, Jesus had given physical proof of God's reign through the miracles that he performed in the casting out of demons, in the healing of disease. We should also note that at numerous times in his ministry, Jesus gave explanations of his parables to the wider crowds as well, those who would be considered on the outside. So what the disciples have been given is not some secret knowledge of the kingdom of God that that's hidden to all those on the outside. It's not some piece of of truth that is key to uh, understanding things that they've been that's been kept back from them. What then is the secret of the kingdom of God that's been given to the followers of Christ, given to those who do the will of God? It is this? It is the ability not simply to hear the gospel but to receive the gospel with affection. The good news of the kingdom of God being the reign of God, which is manifested in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and his life, his death, his resurrection, uh, for the forgiveness of sin for all who believe in him, and the the final fulfillment of all God's promises, the new heavens and the new earth. It's the ability not simply to hear those things, but to receive those things with affection. Christ taught about the kingdom of God to all. But in sinful rebellion and hardness of heart, people refused to acknowledge its truth. I mean, they could understand what was being said, but they didn't care for what was being said. This is made more explicit if we look at the the parallel accounts of this episode in Matthew and Luke's gospel accounts. 
In Matthew 13, verse 11, Jesus said to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. In Luke 8, verse 10, Jesus said to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. What is implied by Mark is made explicit in Matthew and Luke when they add the word know. Again, Luke 8.10, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Now in scripture, to know something can be more than simply an intellectual knowledge. It can be a loving affection. In Genesis 4, we read that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Knowledge here is a euphemism uh, for sexual relations. Adam didn't simply have intellectual knowledge of his wife, but they had intimate affection for each other. In Romans 8, 29, we're told of God that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Here, the Apostle Paul is not speaking of God's foresight of those who might decide to choose God out of their own free will because while sinners have the natural ability to make choices, those choices are only free if they're able to choose what they desire. As the human race is born in bondage to sin, sinners only desire sin. have no moral ability to do otherwise. So when Paul speaks of God's foreknowledge, he is speaking about God's forelove. For those whom God foreknew means for those whom God chose to set his affections upon. You see, without God's sovereign grace to regenerate a sinner's heart, freeing them from their bondage to sin, they would never freely choose God. For that would be against their own desires. When Jesus says to his followers, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, it's more than intellectual knowledge. Because Jesus had shared these truths wherever he went. He talked about the kingdom of God wherever he went. What it means is that Jesus' followers have received the divine grace of God to enable them not only to hear the truths of the gospel, but to acknowledge them as true And to love that truth. Without God's gracious gift coming first to free the sinner's will from bondage, they would never have affection for God. We would never have affection for God. And all whom God's grace comes upon will respond in repentance and faith. God's grace is effective. Now let me just explain this a bit more by looking at another word from Paul and And a word from Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, speaking to believers in verse 12, Now we, as believers, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. He's saying that as a result of receiving the spirit of God, people are enabled to understand the things of God. And note the order. We receive the Spirit in order that we might understand the things of God. It's God's work in us first. People come to believe and to love the things of God because of God's gracious work in their lives first. 
But in comparison, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The person who has not received the Spirit of God can hear the words of God, but he thinks they're folly. He, He thinks they're just foolishness. Until such time that God's grace enables him to believe, he will not believe. Well, that's Paul. What does Jesus say about the matter? In Matthew 11, Jesus denounces the unrepentant cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. That's right, Capernaum, the place where Jesus spoke the parable of the soils, the place which served as the base for most of his ministry in Galilee. All of his miraculous works in those places did not cause many people to turn their affections truly towards him. Well, after this public scolding, Jesus declared in Matthew 11, verses 25 to 27, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. How do people come to truly know and love the Father? Well, the Son chooses to reveal it to them. It's by grace alone. Now, the gospel is to be proclaimed to all people. Just listen to the next words of Jesus in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He proclaimed the truth of the gospel to all people everywhere. But we see that those who respond will only respond by the grace of God. There is an external gospel call that goes out to all. But only those in whom God's grace works inwardly upon them will turn away from sin and turn to faith in Christ. One final example, when the Apostle Peter made his wonderful declaration that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, how did Jesus reply? Matthew 16, verse 17. Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter, you didn't come up with this. God worked in you to reveal this to you. Coming back to Mark 4. When Jesus said to his followers, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, he's saying this. He's saying that the truths of the gospel have been preached to all, But not all have been enabled by divine grace to believe those truths, to have affection for those truths, to love those truths, and most especially to love Jesus, the one in whom God's kingdom, reign, and rule are manifested to this world. The evidence of God's grace at work in their lives is their desire to do the will of God, to gather before Jesus' feet and listen to him, to learn from him, to love him. People can intellectually understand what the parables of Jesus meant, 
But only those on the inside, only those touched by the grace of God, have been given the ability to discern the significance of the parables. As one writer has said, God had given them eyes to see that what the parables teach concerning the kingdom of God was now taking place. And isn't that what the parable of the soils explains? The seed is scattered all over the place and it lands on different types of soil. But only when it lands on the good soil does it take root and grow and produce an abundant harvest. So it is that the gospel is preached to all, but only takes root in hearts that have been graciously prepared by the Lord. As believers, we have absolutely nothing to boast about. We are not saved because we were wiser or smarter or humbler than the person who does not believe. All glory goes to God alone, for it's he who has enabled our hearts to respond. Paul says to the Ephesian believers in chapter 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He goes on to say, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then, just to make sure we haven't missed it, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith is a gift. And so we have nothing to boast about except God alone. For it's God alone that makes the soil good. It's God alone who makes the soil able to receive the seed and allow it to produce fruit. The parable of the soil serves as both a reminder that gospel ministry is hard work, but also that it will be effective work. It will be effective because as we preach the gospel, God will graciously save his people. And that should give us tremendous confidence. Now, we'll talk more about this confidence in evangelism next week, but we still need to investigate what Jesus says further about the significance of the parables. We've looked at what Jesus says to those who have been graciously brought to the inside. God has made Jesus brothers and sisters by grace through faith. But what about those on the outside? Mark chapter 4, from the second half of verse 11, Jesus says, But for those outside, everything is in parables. In today's progressive society, a lot of talk is made about the inclusiveness of Jesus, that Jesus welcomes everyone without any sense of repentance, without even necessarily understanding the Jesus they're submitting to is the Jesus that we read about in the Bible. But these words from Jesus in Mark 4 shatter that notion. Jesus is clearly making a differentiation about those on the inside and those on the outside. Jesus is clearly not making any attempt to water down the gospel to make it easier for people to believe. In fact... He's removing any sense of easy believism. Salvation means repentance of sin and faith in Christ Jesus as Lord. Now, 
When Jesus says that for the outsider, everything is in parables, clearly it means that uh, it means more than he will simply speak in parables to them from that point on. I mean, he went on and taught a lot of things in public that were not in parables. What he means here is that whatever he says will simply not be able to be grasped without the eyes of faith. Everything Jesus says to those on the outside will be like he's talking in riddles. A well-known event in the Old Testament might help us understand this further. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, we read how the prophet Nathan confronted King David after the affair with Bathsheba and the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Nathan told David a story about a rich man who stole from a poor man. Stole the poor man's only sheep so that he could provide a meal for a visitor. And David understood the point of the story because his anger was immediately kindled and wanted to have the rich man put to death. It was at that moment that Nathan declared to David, you are the man. Only at this point was David's understanding of the story moved from a merely intellectual knowledge to a conviction of the heart. However, while Jesus is speaking about more than his parables, he is making particular reference to the use of his parables. And just listen to what he states is the purpose of him speaking in parables to those on the outside. Verse 12. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is commissioned as a prophet to the southern kingdom of Israel prior to the Babylonian exile. God told Isaiah that he was to preach to the people, but his words of truth would make the people's hard hearts even harder, and they would face the judgment of God. This judgment would act like a forest fire, burning down all the trees until one stump Remained, And by analogy, this would be the true remnant of faithful believers. 700 years later, Jesus employs these same words of God to explain his ministry. In fact, Isaiah's ministry foreshadowed the greater ministry of Jesus. In telling parables, Jesus would be sorting out the true remnant of believers from the hangers-on, the good soil from the bad soil. And so it's interesting to note the dual effect of Jesus' parables. For those on the inside, it provides opportunity to grow in a deeper understanding of God. But for those on the outside, they serve as a stumbling block. To one group it reveals truth, to another it conceals. For the outsiders, the parables were a source of divine judgment. And once again, we must recognize that those on the inside that Jesus is speaking to have only been brought there by the gracious work of God. Those on the inside were once on the outside. Those on the inside are not there because they deserve it or they've earned it, but because of God's mercy towards them. We are only here today because of God's mercy towards us. 
That means that those who are currently outside the kingdom will include God's people who have not yet experienced the effectual call of the gospel in their lives. And hence, the importance of evangelism. For how will they believe if no one preaches the gospel to them? Romans 10 verse 17 reminds us, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we are to preach the gospel to all. But we rely on God's grace to change people's hearts. And so we continue to preach a gospel that is a a stumbling block and foolishness to the world because it's the gospel which is the power of salvation for all who believe. And when, and when someone responds with affection to Christ, it is a clear sign that the grace of God is at work within them. In considering God's sovereignty and salvation, Jesus' words here in Mark 4 show the responsibility that human beings have before God for their sin. It's their sin. And they will face God's judgment if they do not respond in repentance of that sin and faith to God. God's sovereignty and human responsibility are not contradictions. They are truths that the scripture constantly affirms. We are responsible for our sin. God is responsible for our salvation. And the sign that God is at work in a person's heart is their willingness to acknowledge their sin before him. Acknowledge that Jesus Christ, whom the Bible speaks of, is the only saviour of this world. Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the true and risen King whom they will humble themselves before and receive the forgiveness of sin that he won for them on the cross. The parables then have a way of confirming the state of people's hearts. To those who did not believe in Christ, the parables remained as riddles For there was no desire to understand what they pointed towards. Jesus told the parables to outsiders as a sign of judgment. But to those in whom the Spirit is working are are drawn to think, sorry, but those in whom the Spirit is working are drawn to think harder about his teachings and have a growing desire to understand his teachings. This does not mean that true believers understand everything. Even the disciples who sat at Jesus' feet did not understand in many instances. They didn't understand the parable of the soils to begin with. But for those who desire to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, that is the reign of God through Jesus Christ, they will be given. For we know that it is the Spirit who has already been at work in their hearts to free them from bondage to sin that they might desire Christ in the first place. We'll look more deeply at the parable of the soils next week, but even from our cursory look this morning, we are given great insight into why people respond differently to Jesus. If you do not know Christ as King, then I pray you see the necessity of this conviction and ask that God would be merciful in leading you from judgment into reconciliation and life. Ask that he would bring you from the outside to the inside. May God's grace humble you and free you and lead you into his kingdom. Through faith in Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection. 
For those who know the Lord here today, we are left with words of praise and thanksgiving. We declare, there but for the grace of God go I. And may we take every opportunity this week to spread the seed of the gospel everywhere we can, trusting God to bring about an abundant harvest in his own time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what we have looked at this morning. Thank you for helping us to see the, the depth of, of what is in this uh, section where Jesus speaks about the parable of soils. I pray today that you would have given us greater understanding and a greater love for Christ. Because as we see, the only way to receive the gospel, the only way to be understood as good soil that produces an abundant harvest is by your grace alone. So, Father, we come before you in thanksgiving. Father, may you also help us to see in this the importance of evangelism. That we who are on the inside were once on the outside, but for your grace and for the hearing of your word preached. And so may you help us, spur us on to speak the word of truth in grace and love and wisdom to those around us, trusting in your sovereignty that you will lead your people home. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.